everyone, and welcome to Southern Myth History. My name is Hannah, and today we'll be talking about one of my favorite women in history, Catherine Hogarth Dickens. So, Catherine Hogarth Dickens was born on May 19, 1815 in Edinburgh, Scotland, to parents George and Georgina Hogarth. She was the oldest of their ten children. Catherine had a happy childhood with both her parents getting education for all of their children. Catherine was also very close to the younger sister, Mary. In 1830, her father got a job at a London newspaper as a journalist, so he moved with his family to London. It's at her father's work where she would meet her future husband, Charles Dickens. Catherine was described as a small, lovely young woman with dark hair and blue eyes with a good sense of humor and a charming wit. 19-year-old Catherine met Charles the first time around 1834 or early 1835, it's unsure. But the first, on, the first time on record that she makes note of him is on February 7, 1835, when he had invited her to his 23rd birthday party. She described him as, quote, Mr. Dickens improves very much on acquaintance. And Charles liked her as well and loved the happy and warm home life that she had, as he himself longed for a big family and a happy home. They quickly fell in love as the couple became engaged in the spring of that same year, with Catherine telling Charles that she could, quote, be happy anywhere with him, and Charles saying his love was one which, quote, nothing could lessen. A year later, they were married on April 2nd, 1836. They set up and began married life with the help of her sister, Mary, as it was common for Edward sisters to help out. They began to build life together, with Catherine managing the household and Charles at work on his novels. Catherine was often the first reader of his works. A year into their marriage, Catherine has the first of her ten children, a son named Charlie, born on January 6, 1837. Catherine would develop postpartum depression after his birth, though, and was, una was, and was unable to care for him those couple days, which bothered her greatly. It also didn't help that she would lose her beloved sister, Mary, when she unexpectedly passed away, only three months after she had Charlie. A year later, Catherine would have another child on March 6, 1838, a girl who she named Mary in her sister's honor. A year later, she had another daughter on October 29, 1839, named Kate. Like with their first two births, this one also led to postpartum depression. But it seems after her fourth child, a son named Walter, on February 8, 1841, her confinement lasted only a week and she had no postpartum depression. So, postpartum depression was due in part to her confinements after the birth, it seems. Catherine loved being a mom, and she delighted in her children, with Charlie being particularly close to her. In the mid-1840s, Catherine and Charles traveled to Italy for a bit. During this time, Charles' fame as a writer was growing rapidly, and so was his family. Soon after this, he started his American book tour. Catherine joined him on this tour, and despite stormy seas and long hours away, Catherine wasn't phased. Charles remarked on her ease with, quote, She really has made a most admirable traveler in every respect. But with any couple, they had their disagreements, and their disagreements were on their children. Catherine wanted her children to be happy and loving. Charles, on the other hand, wanted his sons to be earnest, ambitious, and very sharply focused, like himself. He'd rather them be like him than their mother, he'd say later, but more on that in a bit. Ten months after their return from America, Catherine had her fifth child, a son named Francis, on January 15, 1844. A year later, she had another son on October 28, 1845, named Alfred. After his birth, they traveled a lot, first to Italy, then London, Switzerland, and Paris. Finally, in 1847-ish, I don't know the correct date, but they did return to London. 
with Catherine Brigham being pregnant again, and while she already had six children, all her deliveries had been painful, but they weren't complicated. That change led birth to her seventh child, a son named Sidney. So Catherine went into labor on the 17th or 18th of April, but it wasn't a normal go-around this time. As the baby was a breech baby, which is simply put it's when the baby is all turned around and not in the right position. He was finally delivered after a long and hard labor, and Catherine and the baby did survive, but it required medical attention. Sadly, she would lose the baby when she miscarried in December of that same year on a trip with her husband in Scotland. Charles blamed her for this, but a miscarriage is not something anyone can control. Four months after her miscarriage, she was yet again pregnant with her eighth child, a son named Henry, born in January 1849. After his birth, Catherine would give birth again in 1850 to her ninth child, a girl named Dora. A couple months after her birth, Catherine was suffering from severe headaches, which sounded a lot like migraines. So on March 13th, she went to Melbourne to a hospital that had water doctors. I'm using air, air quotes on the word doctor, though, as they were just quacks. Basically, it was a treatment of cold baths and tons of exercise and walking to relieve the tendency of blood to the head, which, you know, is ridiculous because that's not how the body works. But it seems Catherine's issue is more of a physical one since she improved almost as once starting her treatments. And she really wasn't allowed out and about. She was very busy with her family. So perhaps that was in somewhat of her issue, but I don't know. But two weeks into her stay in Melbourne, she received a letter from her husband saying her daughter Dora was sick. When she received the letter of her daughter's poor health, she left right away to come home. But the letter she received from her husband was deceiving, as baby Dora was already dead at only eight months old. The baby had been poorly, but it's still such a tragedy to lose a baby so young. Catherine mourned deeply but privately, but privately and they said she relied on her faith to overcome her grief. A year later, and Perhaps to escape her grief, Catherine wrote her cookbook titled, What Shall We Have for Dinner? Satisfactory Answer by Numerous Bills of Fares from 2 to 18 Persons. She wrote that under the pen name Lady Maria Cuddlebuck. Many did claim later that it wasn't her who wrote it, but Charles, but that claim is false. A year later, on March 13, 1852, Catherine had her tenth and final child, a son named Edward. With her 16 years of childbearing behind her, she was ready to assume more roles again, as her sister Georgia did a lot of the childcare as Catherine was either pregnant, recovering from a birth, or nursing one of the babies. She was briefly in charge of the household for two months in 1830, sorry, 1853, when Charles left England for a tour of Europe. So, I hate to bring up bodies and weight, as it means nothing to the person, but it's hard to ignore the comments on her after having had 10 children and again, nowhere near as much ability to be allowed out and active like her husband is. So by their mid forties, the couple look strikingly different and are described differently. I'll put on my Instagram the photos so you guys can see the comparison, but then again, looks are very deceiving. But by this time, Catherine described by various people to be stout and large and rather big. And yes, she was heavier than she was before her marriage in 1836, but that was also over 20 years ago and 10 children ago and no ability to be out and about. Why? And I do, I do mean why is this such an issue when we talk about women? Like, as soon as a woman is even slightly overweight, it's all like, eek, what'd she do? And I just hate it. 
Charles was not coming to her aid, but he was also criticizing her weight and diet. But yet again, she was not really allowed to go out and about like he was. He was pretty controlling of what she did and preferred to have her in the domestic sphere, the home, where he, the great author and family man, was out and about. In mid-April 1856, following their 20th wedding anniversary, Charles was becoming pretty unhappy in his life, and it honestly sounds like he was going through a bit of a midlife crisis. It would get worse in 1858 when he met an actress and her young daughter who was also an actress named Ellen Tiernan, who was 20 years his junior, mind you. Over the next few months, his attraction to her was obvious, with Charles sending jewelry to Ellen, which was mistakenly delivered through their house. Yes, the house he lived in with his wife and his children. After this, in the fight about it, Charles sought a separation from Catherine, but still insisted that he had done no wrong. He was making Catherine's life pretty terrible. Her mother and her sister Helen also pressured Catherine to leave him. They both deeply resented his behavior and his treatment of Catherine. Early in May 1858, Charles took up a temporary home at his office, while her mother and sister helped Catherine prepare to leave for home. For a two-week stay with her ma and then a new London place, but wherever she went, her oldest son Charlie would be her only child he left with her, as being an adult, he could decide for himself. And he chose to do what was right in his eyes, which was going with his mother. On June 4, 1858, Catherine signed the deed of separation that her solicitor, George Smith, brought her in Brighton. It had been drawn up by Smith, and it was edited by Charlie's solicitor and Charles himself. Charles agreed in the deed to support her, and she was given £400 a year. But of course, it was not in her hands, but in the hands of her trustees. The deed named them Mark, Lemon, and Frederick Evans. On her settlement, Catherine could afford to employ two servants and wouldn't need to clear clean if she didn't wish to. Charles also agreed to let Catherine have, quote, free access to any or all of her children. But what he said and what he did was the opposite. He wrote to their oldest son to convey to Catherine that their younger, underage children were not allowed to see their grandmother or Catherine's sister, Helen. He disliked them immensely. He never really liked them in the first place, and after their separation, he hated them, since he obviously sided with Catherine and they insinuated that he was having an affair with Ellen, which he did in the 1860s. But again, that'd be a blow to his image of this lovely family man and beloved author. So, like a maniac, he was like, take it back, and they did, and they did it unwillingly. But it was proven years later that Catherine's mother, aunt, and sister were right. He was having an affair with her. And Charles, on top of being this kind of distasteful character, he also tried to have his wife committed to an asylum. He used the claims of her laziness and abandoning of her children as his reasoning. But mind you, it was Charles himself who kept the children back from Catherine. But thankfully, the doctor for once actually saw through it, and he was like, no. He told him no, and he didn't agree with Charles. So Charles instead basically made sure that everyone knew that Catherine was either lazy incompetent and unstable and unfit mother. And for many years, and if I'm being honest, still now, people believed his lies. But back when this was all going down, some people did side with Catherine and pitied her. Catherine herself kept quiet and did not go public like her husband did, but she did express some hints on her thoughts. She wrote this to her friend named Angela Burnett, quote, One day, though not now, I'm able to tell you how hardly I've been used. And it may seem that she is okay with this, but again, one, he kind of blew up their whole, like, separation. 
And two, divorce is incredibly frowned upon in Victorian times. So, obviously, no one's going to be like, hey, look what I did. But also, I think, and this is just me personally, but I think if everyone's claiming that you're mad and crazy and unstable, I feel like she was smart in being like, I'm going to hold back and I'm going to keep quiet because everything I say is just going to be misconstrued. That's only my thoughts. But anyways, back to Catherine. Out of all the allegations Charles and her sister said about her, the most hurtful and unjust one was that she was an unfit mother who forced her children onto someone else. Since by law the children belonged to Charles and since he made them not allowed to live with her, again, only Charlie could because he was 21. Although another one of her sons, her 11-year-old son, Sidney, expressed a wish to live with his mother. Years later, her other son, Alfred, would say in 1879 that, quote, not one on the subject ever passed on the lips of either father or mother, of causes which led to the unfortunate event. We know no more than the rest of the world, end quote. He also added, quote, our dear mother has suffered very much, end quote. If you thought Charles kept them out of love, then you'd be wrong. He was constantly disappointed in his sons, and he hardly remarked on his daughters, so swell that. I won't get into all of this here, since I want the story to be on Catherine, but if you want more, I highly recommend the book The Other Dickens by Lillian Nider. I used it heavily for my research, and it was a great help. So, the 1860s were a mixed bag for Catherine, both full of losses and joys. She lost her son Walter, her mother, her brother-in-law, and her father within a couple years of each other, which I can't imagine enduring that. While she mourned them, she also took comfort in the birth of her grandchildren and the comfort of her friends, both old and new ones. Despite what her critics and her husband's biographers make it out to be, Catherine was not bitter and miserable after her separation. She continued going to the theater, which she loved, she still hosted guests, and spent a lot of time with her son Charlie and his wife Bessie. And again, she still had her many friends. I'm going to point out one friend in particular named Shirley Brooks. He once dedicated one of his books to Charles in 1855. But after the separation, he became one of Catherine's strongest advocates and blamed Charles for a marital breakdown. He, decided, he described Catherine as a woman, quote, discharged with good character. And he often sent her tickets to his plays and would tease and joke with her, warning her that he would, quote, would sit very near in order to see that she applauded with all her might and occasionally cried out that she had never sought anything half so good, end quote. And that's during his plays, which I found sweet. Again, she had her friends from this time, and she also took up a hobby of basically, like, scrapbooking everyone's photos, and many were personally inscribed to her from her friends. And still, throughout all this time, she called herself Mrs. Charles Dickens, and referred to Charles as her husband. In, 1870, in 1870, Charles passed away, though. He left Catherine a widow, but still her husband wasn't done slighting her. His will was honestly a joke, which I will not get into or read, as I don't want to talk about him. He's always talked about and loved by many people, and I'm just not one of those. But anyway, his death left her with less money than when he was alive, but she was freed in a way from his criticism, and could take deep pride in what Charles left her son Charlie in his will. All of his books, engravings, and prints went to her son. In 1872, she would lose another son, Sidney, which she grieved deeply for, and her son Henry stayed with her often, cheering her and giving her comfort. Around the same time, Catherine and Georgina reconciled Charles' death, as they had a falling out after the separation, as Georgia leaned towards Charles' side and basically parroted off everything Charles said. But they did reconcile after his death. 
but it was never warm or loving. In the later years of the 1870s, Catherine's health was beginning to fail her, and in her will, which she included all of her children, her grandchildren, and her niece May. Catherine herself passed away on November 22, 1879, and before she died, she gave all of her letters from Charles to her daughter Kate, telling her to, quote, Give these to the British Museum that the world may know Charles loved me once. End quote. Even after all he did, the trashing of her character, trying to have her committed to an asylum, and refusing to let her have her children, she still loved him and wanted everyone to know that they did love each other a while ago. So that is Catherine's story. Go easy on me. This was my first attempt at writing, and I just really wanted to tell her story. A lot of times, if a woman doesn't do something particularly famous, they're forgotten in history. Or we always talk about the same two over and over again, which is fine. I'm glad they're getting talked about. But half of the human race is never mentioned throughout history. So I thought I would try to tell their stories. If you enjoyed this and didn't find my voice too awful, I hope you come back next week when we talk about another one, and you can also follow me on Instagram at Seldom Make History if you'd like to see more content. Bye!